Sounds good to me. So we got Chris Bridgeford on the show with us today uh, in prep for the current U.S. Open, probably um, the biggest in the scheduling in terms of competitions. And this current is looking a little bit different. Uh, we got, uh, it's with a different organization. Um, have any of the rules changed in terms of, uh, like the commands and the squatting, the walking out? Uh, I've done, uh, WRPF, uh, boss and bosses. If I remember correctly, uh, all the rules are pretty much the same. Yeah. Nothing, nothing major. Um, uh, yeah, the only difference is, is they do a lot. Like they do have, uh, they do allow monolift, but I think they made a whole new division just for this meet, gotcha. where uh, you have to walk your squats out. Because that so. was that was a bit of the point of contention, where some people they like the traditional walking their squats out, and they thought like if it was just straight up monolift, it changes the game. Like would that change it for you a little bit if guys were just straight up out of the monolift? Uh, I, I mean, I definitely think that people who aren't doing this meet would do it. Uh, and I know there's, you know, a few lifters off the top of my head that do the current U S open. Uh, they can squat more out of the monolift. Uh, Yuri Belkin's a perfect example. He squatted, uh, 881 at boss of bosses last year out of the monolift. And I think his best squat walked out is like 830. Yeah. So definitely, uh, there's definitely a difference there. It, uh, it's it's kind of weird. Like if you're not used to the mono lift, um, and usually walk out your squats, it feels weird for me because I've tried it before to settle my feet, lift the bar up, and be ready to squat. I feel like like I because I'm only because I'm used to it. I like adjusting. I like I'm used yeah. to I'm programmed stepping back and finding my footing. Every single rep, every warm-up set, everything. And I've been doing it for over 10 years. So for me to not, it's effed up to like to, yeah. figure, to lift to lift the bar up and be like, that's it. There's no adjusting. You just squat. I'm like, damn. Yeah. I don't need I think it would I don't even know if it'd help me, but Yeah, it throws me off too. I actually started off uh like training out of a monolith, like the first powerlifting gym I trained at and the meets that I competed in, we were allowed to use a monolith. So I started off that way. And, uh, I started doing meets that, uh, like I started doing USPA meets and my walkouts were terrible. Uh, and then USPA got more popular. And so I started focusing on walk, walking out my squats and I got used to that. And, uh, I've tried to switch back to the monolift a couple of times now and it's just, it's too weird now. I can't do it. So I just, I just walk my, I just pick the lesser of the two uh walking out squat still sucks but uh it's definitely it feels less weird than just trying to set up under the monolift and go so at least at yeah. least with walking out um you could do both if you're to meet where it's just monolith be like fuck it i'm gonna walk this bad boy out regardless i need to settle my feet whereas if you're just a monolith guy and you're like so used to monolith you have to walk one out it's a lot harder to adjust Oh yeah, it was I yeah, it was pretty bad for me uh, when I you know a couple of years back when I started switching over my my walkouts were super shaky and I would you know I would fall back and like take an extra step uh, and they were they were pretty ugly but and it's gotten a little bit better but it definitely takes a long time to adjust to it so it's I think it's like um I think the monolift really came into prominence back in the day when 
not only was it like geared, like 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 yeah. guys would come in equipped. Powerlifting was far more popular back in the day. But at one point, there was like multiply gear where it was yeah. it was super thick suits. And um, and if you got like a suit that thick, knees wrapped, and you were tight like a mummy, your movements you almost can't walk. First of all, yeah, those guys, yeah, those guys can barely walk. Yeah, they can barely <laughs> move, is. and then throw a yeah. thousand pounds on their back. Yeah, no, I definitely, I think that's uh, when it got you know pretty popular was uh, when multiply was kind of at its uh, at its peak. Uh, you know, West Side and you know all those other big gear lifting teams. Uh, but I mean, I do, I do see like why people like the monoliths. It is, it is a little bit safer. Uh, that's probably like, the only like positive thing I have to say about it. It's not really appealing for like competition, just because you know the monolift itself is in front of the lifter, so you can't really see them that well. So from like a spectator standpoint, I understand why it's not really like the the one that people want to go with. Uh, but just from my like personal experience, it is a little bit safer, be, safer because it's a, it's a heavy duty piece of equipment yeah. and it's, it's really, really difficult to like flip one of those over. Like if you were to have safety straps set up, hanging from the top of it, and if you were to drop weight, it's, it takes a lot to, to flip one of those over. Now an ER rack, uh, you know, a little combo rack, those, I, I, I hate squatting out of combo racks just because I have to push the uprights in. And I have to have my hands on the outside of it, yeah. and the uprights get in the way of my arms. Uh, I feel like if I were, if I mean, granted you have spotters, but like if you were to drop a weight on those little safety pins on an ER rack, it's probably going to flip over. Like, so yeah, I, 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 and I 100% agree. It's true that like the monolith is a big, huge, bulky, fucking contraption. Like when you're yeah. watching, when you're watching, it looks like a like a Transformers on the platform. When you're watching on like a live stream, and they do all the different, like I'm thinking like the IPF worlds, for instance, they have all those different camera angles, slow mo replays from this angle, that angle, etc. You got a monolift out there. It's it's yeah, it, it looks awkward. It's kind of in the way. Um, yeah. If you picture like a basketball game with a bunch of shit on the on the basketball court and they're dribbling yeah. around it almost right we just want yeah. to clear everything out of the way let it let us watch so viewership but on the flip side like you said functionally um a you got a guy like ray williams who doesn't have to walk out with a thousand pounds on his back and walk or do like a little mini yoke competition before he squats right yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. with a g and then b man, there's nobody who works harder for their slice of pizza as a volunteer is the fucking guys who who spot Ray Williams and Kelly yeah. Brand with a thousand pounds on their back and Jezza. Like I, I've never spotted for one of those guys, but I'm there doing like the commentary. And yeah. you you can look in their faces. Ray's more confident than they are. I've seen <laughs> you, we we we've seen Kelly Britton bail. Like bail, like he went down, fell on his I knees. I've, fell, see, I've oh, seen that video. Uh, and they, they couldn't get the bar off him and he almost he like started like shaking up really bad he was yeah and they were they were holding damn near a thousand pounds in their arms and like it's tough yeah. man. what do you do like that's a tough and these are just volunteers hey like you could yeah, be, no, I've, I've <laughs> spotted at a, at a meet before where I think the heaviest squat was maybe like low 600s it was like a USAPL meet yeah. and I was I was dead tired just after doing yeah. that it's it's uh, it's weird. So the, I can imagine. It's weird the um the stress. Like I've spotted before, 
And um, they're heavyweights. They're dudes like, yeah, into the 600s when not squatting. No wraps. I went to the 600s. But it's funny, like, with the anxiety you have loading and spotting. So, A, you want to load it right. And, B, if someone's, if you're spotting, you don't want to touch too soon. You take away his squat. It's a hell of a fight. And if he yeah. misses, you got to be there. So, you get, like, so nervous and expend so much energy. Um, yeah, you get you get tired by the end. And the problem with the, the IPF Worlds, with those heavyweights, the end, the last day... Is like Ray Williams, Kelly Branton, and Jezza, and those fellas, like Luke Richardson, yeah. these monsters. Yeah. That would that's the that's the hardest part was with the monolith. You have those straps. Fuck, man! If you got spotters and straps, I'm not nearly as worried. I know I'm not saving. Oh, yeah. I'm not saving your life. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, it definitely it would definitely feel a lot safer uh, just because I've seen. I mean, I've seen bad falls on both. Like it's gonna happen. Yeah. Especially if you have like those explosive squatters where they go down fast and they're not really going to grind out a spot. They're either going to get it or they're not going to. And if they fail, they're going to come up and then they're just going to drop. Yeah. So I, I understand shit happens, but it would definitely, I mean, for me personally, it would provide a little bit more uh, security if we, if we had a setup like that, it was I've, offered. I've seen um, at the IPF Worlds, this one guy came out for a squat. He was like a, I think he's a 105er. No, he's a 120. Um, way heavier than he should have. Uh, well into the 700s for his opener, and everybody's like, oh. "Shit, man, this guy's." Uh, I mean, he. We didn't even know. No one knew who he was. We're like, "This has got to be too heavy." He missed this opener, and it wasn't even close. He went down with it, and then the weight cut through him like a knife through butter, and everyone had to catch <laughs> the weight. Okay, um, so he had he offered no like token resistance on the way down. Is the best he had. Came back out for squats two. And three, and you might have seen it turn into like a gif meme, powerlifting motivation we're sharing, where he literally sunk down, passed out, threw his hands down, Jesus take the wheel moment, and oh, all, I, think all, I, I think I know what you're talking about. And all of the spotters, you know every time the guy came back out of the platform, the spotters are like, fuck me, man. Seriously, you, you coming out again? Yeah. Who's who's handling you, man? Why is he sending you back out there? It's like, yeah. dude, it's over. That's a tough. Like, that's I, I don't know how I would take it if I was a spotter loader. You just got to play it super close. Yeah, I mean, I know it those. I know it's a volunteer type thing, but it would be. I think it would be good. I mean, I don't know how like realistic it would be, but for those high level meets to almost have like. Uh, people who have like been taught how to like properly spot like spot and load like almost yeah. like almost the same way like they treat like judging mm-hmm. like have people who have passed like some type of like test yeah. for those high level meets. I understand like smaller like local meets where you know you might have one person squatting over seven hundred pounds, you know, it might not be that big of a deal, but like at you know, IPF worlds or you know something like that where there's gonna be several throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Uh almost have, you know, like People who have, like I said, you know, passed some type of test. They know how to, like, you know, catch a, you know, catch a squat properly, like if it drops or you know something like that. Versus some sixteen-year-old volunteers. One hundred percent, especially these days. Um, Eighty-three kilo. You got guys like Brett Gibbs and Russell Orhe who are like hitting seven hundred in the gym now. If that's yeah, if that's eighty, stupid. if that's eighty-three. We got like 93, 105, 120, 120 plus. It's like, fuck, nobody's safe. You're, you're like, who am I spotting and loading for? It doesn't matter, man. Yeah, like, it's, you getting, can, it's getting stupid. Yeah, it's getting silly. Um, so a little bit about yourself. I, I was reading your, your background here. 
And uh, yeah. you actually come from a family of you got six siblings. Is that right? Or yeah. you're the youngest yeah. of six. Yep, I'm the youngest of six. So uh, my dad has four kids from his first marriage, and my mom has one kid from her first marriage, and then I'm the the only uh, child from my mom and dad. Okay. So uh, yeah, we're not we don't really use like the term like half sibling or anything like that in my family though. So I'm just the youngest of six. Mm-hmm. So I have yep, I have uh, I have two brothers and three sisters. In how what's the spread like? Between you and your siblings? Uh, so I'm the youngest. Uh, next oldest is uh, my sister, uh, Nicole. She's, uh, she's four years older than me. And then uh, everybody outside of that is like in their 30s. So, I mean, it's, it's not too far apart because uh, I'm, I'm 24. So uh, there's, there's a little bit of space in, in between there. So Is it like, uh, um, is it one of those deals growing up? When you were young, in particular, they're more like aunts, uncles frame. Because because when you're like in high school, they're done high school, like adult doing adult stuff, while you're still doing your high school thing. Yeah, I, I, that's pretty accurate. Because uh, my my brother Robert, who I'm really close with. He's ten years older than me. So I mean, when I was you know in elementary school, he was you know finishing high school and he was doing adult stuff. So. Uh, yeah, that's that's a pretty accurate way it, to describe it. it. It's kind of like. When he's like an adult and you're still in the age where you're going to do like you're fucking up doing silly things. Yeah. He, instead of him alongside you also fucking up, he's going to be the dude pull you aside and be like, hey, man. And he could actually talk to you on like that kind of level. Did you guys have that kind of relationship or? Uh, yeah, I definitely uh, I, I got closer uh, with my I'm, I'm really close with my sister, Nicole. So we have, uh, we have the same mom. Uh and I, I definitely got closer with my other siblings kind of as, like, I matured and uh, got a little bit older. Uh, me, and my, me and my brother Robert, we didn't uh, get along too great when I was younger. He, would always, uh, he was always, you know, picking on me, and he would always let me know that I was his little brother, and he you know, he'd beat up on me a little bit. But uh, as I got older and I started playing sports and started lifting weights, uh, it, didn't, it wasn't, like, so easy for him to pick on me anymore. So we definitely – we got a little bit closer after that. And uh, But as far as, like, him, like, uh, like mentoring me, I mean, he he was probably doing just as much uh, fucking up and uh, fucking up as I was. So. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So we, uh, uh, we both were doing stupid shit. So – It's <laughs> – uh, it's funny, um, I, I can kind of, so I got an older brother, two years older, and 100%, when we were young, he was constantly, like, bullying me, picking on me, etc., but he was yeah. never, he never got into, like, weightlifting and shit like that, so after a certain age, there's that weird changing of the tide, where those wrestling matches, or those scraps, yeah. start getting a little close, a little too yeah. close, where, you know, he surpri- you're surprised at him, and then at one point, it just stopped, and he was like, listen, we're gonna start talking. <laughs> he's like, he's like, we're gonna start talking our problems out because I'm retiring undefeated. <laughs> he's like, wait, it's not gonna happen. I know what you want. We're done. We're done with that. That part of our that life sounds, is over. It sounds exactly like my dad. Uh, my dad like says. My dad says the same thing. My dad used to beat up on us too if we're, uh, you know, if we were being mouthy and stuff like that. And I, I started fighting back. And then one day he was like, uh, he's like, I'm, I'm done. Uh, no more. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna use diplomacy. <laughs> We're going to use diplomacy from now on, right? <laughs> That's it. You can never let the tide shift that much. Um, so is your brothers, like, is your family, are they big? 
Are they like, are is all your siblings big for their, for the rage and sizes coming up as well? Yeah. Um, you know, me and my, me and my brother, Robert, uh, so I have two brothers. I'm not really close with my other brother. I actually haven't seen him for, uh, about several years now. Um, cause he has a different mom than I do. So he's, he's with his mom. So I don't really have a relationship with him anymore. Uh, but I'd say like me and my brother, Robert, we're built pretty similar to my dad. We're about, uh, my brother's a little bit taller. He's about six, two, six, three. Uh, but we're still built pretty similar to my dad, about six, one, six, two, six, three. Uh, I, uh, we're all about two fifty to 300 pounds. So Holy uh, shit. who's 300. Yeah. What? Who's 300. Uh, my dad is, uh, my dad's probably about 300 pounds right now. He's actually, he's lost quite a bit of weight. Uh, and he's actually getting into lifting and everything. And, uh, so, and then, uh, my brother, uh, you know, my brother's worked out quite a bit and they, uh, they also, my dad, uh, owns his own construction company and my brother, uh, helps him run the company. So, I mean, they're, they're doing, you know, hard, you know, physical labor type stuff every day as is, uh, my brother's about, and my brother's about the same size as me. He's about, uh, you know, 270 pounds. Uh, so yeah, we've, I mean, we've all always been, you know, pretty built, I guess. Uh, kind of like I told you, I was, uh, kind of the first, uh, like one of my family to kind of like take interest in playing sports. Uh, we didn't really, that wasn't really something that we, like we were big on. I don't really come from like an athletic family. Uh, so when I was in middle school, I started playing football and I started wrestling and I started lifting weights too. And I really enjoyed it. And, uh, I got, you know, I got into high school and I, you know, I kept playing both sports, but I took a pretty big interest in wrestling just because I was better at it. And, uh, I kept lifting weights just because I, you know, I enjoyed lifting heavy. Uh, you know, I would go in before school or I would stay after school every day and lift weights. And then, uh, I actually, uh, kind of started getting my family into it as well because you know i we were always buying like those you know the the tostinos pizzas and like hamburger helper and like stuff like like that was like the type of stuff we ate like yes. and, uh and then you know i got into high school and uh i started asking my mom to buy buy me like chicken breast and like you know all this like healthy so like vegetables and like uh rice and all this stuff and uh so yeah, like my mom started eating healthy with me and then, you know, my, my siblings started getting in on it too. And then, you know, now my dad is like really big on it. Uh, so they, uh, they kind of all slowly kind of got into it as well. And then, uh, I actually, uh, went and, uh, wrestled in college for a few years as well. And, uh, that was actually how I ended up getting into uh, powerlifting as well. So one of my, uh, really good friends that lived in the same uh, hall as me in the in the dorm that I lived in. He was training for a, a powerlifting meet, and we would lift together quite a bit. And uh, last minute, he he asked me if I wanted to do the meet with him, and because like we were, I was doing like the exact same stuff in the gym as him, and, as him. So he was training for a meet, so I was essentially training for a meet without even realizing it. I was just like doing what he was telling me to do. And maybe he knew, <laughs> maybe, maybe he knew he's peeking you. That's why he asked you. He was like, ah. yeah, maybe. Uh, and then one day he, uh, he asked, I think the meet was like three weeks away or something like that. And he was like, you want to do this meet with me or not? I was like, I don't know. Like, it's, it's kind of weird. Like, I don't, you know, I don't really, I don't know how I feel about it. And, uh, he told me that, uh, 
He's like, if you don't do this meet with me, like you're you're a huge pussy. <laughs> and, uh, that old, oh, he pulled that one, right? That old move. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he gave me a lot of shit. Uh, you know, talked me into signing up for the meet, and uh, I did. Went and did this meet. Uh, I I weighed in at like two forty. You know, I competed at two forty two. Uh, didn't didn't cut any weight, and uh, I was hooked. So. I started, uh, I started, you know, getting into powerlifting and still wrestling at the same time, and uh, then I eventually uh, quit wrestling and just kind of focused more on lifting and uh, and school, and uh, yeah, that's that was like five years ago now, so it's it's pretty much been all all powerlifting since then. When you were when you were weightlifting initially before you started powerlifting, and you're just lifting weights to get stronger on the football field to get stronger for. Uh, wrestling were you doing like squats dead in bench press yeah I, I was always doing uh I, I was always doing like the like the core like uh power lifting movements uh I actually found uh because uh, I'm, I'm a big uh, I'm a big conjugate guy and when I was in high school I actually found like a a modified like conjugate routine uh, that was uh, written by I don't know if you've heard of Joe DeFranco. Yeah, uh, it was like the West Side for Skinny Bastards routine or whatever or whatever it's called. And I started doing that in high school, and so I started doing like conjugate and you know something you know a variant of like what Louis Simmons uh, was writing like without even realizing it. And uh, I was definitely doing a lot more like CrossFit type stuff, uh, you know, conditioning, especially with wrestling. Uh, being strong is pretty important, but, uh, having a gas tank is, uh, is a little bit more important. Mm. So I was, I always lifted heavy, but before I specifically like started training for powerlifting, I was doing a lot more, uh, conditioning type stuff and running as well, unfortunately. So what was it, were you, was like strength one of the big factors? Like, were you known as a wrestler for being strong? Yeah, that was one thing that I would say, I would say I always had going for me just cause, uh, I, I definitely say I enjoyed lifting uh, a lot more than uh, other people did, like in high school and even college. Uh, like we were, uh, we weren't like required to lift in season, like, but I still did. And uh, like one of the coaches would like make sure that he was like at the school. Like when I was in high school, like one of my coaches would make sure that he was like there before school at a certain time so he could like unlock the weight room for me. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I would definitely say that was, uh, cause I was a little bit behind the curve. You know, a lot of people, I, I went to a school that was known for wrestling. Uh, so I was a little bit behind the curve because everybody I went to high school with, they had been wrestling since they were, you know, since they could barely walk since they were like four or five years old. And I didn't start wrestling until I was like 12 years old. So I was definitely a little bit behind. So I kind of had to find some way to like, you know, get ahead a little bit and uh mm. so I, I was strong uh you know i really i really enjoyed lifting so that's what i had going for me so i kind of capitalized on it and did you how did you work out form if you were like by yourself did you have someone who can show you like here's a high bar squat here's a low bar squat here's how you set it up uh i mean i didn't really like the specific stuff for like powerlifting. i didn't learn until later on but uh you know, the other stuff I kind of just, you know, I, my coaches would show me a little bit here and there, but like I, I would Google stuff. Like I would watch stuff on YouTube. Like I kind of just like did my best to like learn as I went. Uh, it definitely probably like wasn't the greatest, uh, 
But uh, yeah, most of the stuff I just kind of like learned on my own. It's wow. it, it's crazy how like now. So when I first started powerlifting, it was like 2007 ish, and um, fuck me, YouTube came out. When did YouTube start? Was it 2006 or some shit? Like it wasn't wasn't crazy around for a long time. And on top of that, there wasn't like a lot of powerlifters who were like had big YouTube channels. And yeah. um, like the sharing just wasn't there as much. So you really relied upon people who are around you. But this day and age, like I could, I'll still ask questions about people around me, but far more, I can investigate so much online or like send my videos to somebody who's far away and they could tell me, try this, try that, or follow yeah. somebody and they'll show, here is a setup for low bar, just general. Everybody's got different levers and whatnot, but you could yeah. you could dive into that rabbit hole for like troubleshooting and stuff. Like it's a whole another day and age this day. When like YouTube and stuff, it's actually viable. Um, did you start, when, when did you start, did you ever start getting someone else to do your programming for you once you started powerlifting? Uh, yeah, so uh probably the my first uh let's see here i'm trying to think uh my first uh like my first meet my, my buddy kind of you know guided me in, into the meet and kind of told me what to do and then uh after that my my next couple meets i i did on my own and then uh then i'd say i think it was 2015 i actually started working with matt wedding uh, he started writing my programming uh, just because, like I said, I you know I came from a, a conjugate background, and uh, so you know he was a big conjugate for raw lifting kind of guy. This was uh, I think right around the time he broke he like broke the world record at the time for the squat, and he started you know publishing a lot of stuff like you know conjugate for raw lifters. Like this is what I do differently. So uh, he coached me for uh, I want to say was that two thousand and he. He coached me for about a year and a half, maybe a little bit longer, uh, through a couple meet preps, and then uh, I think after I think after two meets, I kind of uh, went back to you know doing doing it on my own, and then uh, I was just kind of using a variation of what he had given me and kind of tweaking things and trying new things, and uh, then uh, in 2017 uh, for my first U.S. Open. Uh, Tony Montgomery actually uh, coached me into my first U.S. Open, uh, which went really well. Uh, he was, you know, he's a great coach. He, uh, you know, he taught me a lot of things too that you know I've kind of applied to my training going forward. And then uh, after that, uh, I kind of wrote my own training again for a while, just you know trying new things, uh, stuff that I wanted to implement into my into my training. And then uh, what? So, it's kind of, kind of hard to keep track of the years at this point. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, later that year, toward, uh, towards like the end of 2017, uh, I started working with uh, Kabuki, uh, Chris Duffins, like their uh, Kabuki Strength, their coaching service. And uh, they coached me into my U.S. Open uh, for, last, for 2018, uh, for last year. And I uh, you know, went really well. Uh, I didn't really do. I didn't really have a good performance, you know, on the platform. But uh, you know, I really, I really enjoyed working with them too. And then uh, after that, I once again, I kind of started doing my own thing again. And since uh, since the tribute meet last year in August, I've been working with Trevor Jaffe. And uh, so this will be my this U.S. Open will be my second meet 
uh, where I've worked with him. He coached me uh, into record breakers last year, and then uh, this will be the second meet where I've been coached by him going into the meet. And uh, it's been about uh, six months now working with him, and uh, I really enjoy it. He's a he's a great coach. He's he's done a really good job of uh, <clears throat> you know like a something that I like look for in a coach is uh, like being able to like explain the things that they give you to kind of help like teach you uh, what, you know, like why you're doing things like as you're doing them. And he's really great about that. He's good at communicating. Uh, he's really upfront with me too. He's, you know, he's not afraid to tell me the things that I need to hear. So uh, I really enjoy working with him and uh, I've, I've gotten stronger since I started working with him too. So I, yeah. I enjoy that. I enjoy that part as well. Uh, but yeah, I've kind of gone back and forth between, you know, working with somebody that, you know, I've just, kind of, you know, see, you know, somebody that like I look up to and who seems to be a really knowledgeable person, uh, and who does a really good job with a lot of their clients. And, uh, you know, I consider working with them for a while and, uh, you know, one, seeing if I like getting coached by them and two, like try to take it like as a learning experience. And then, uh, you know, however long I work with them, I like to, you know, I like to take a little bit of time to, uh, you know, implement things on my own and to see, you know, how I like them and, uh, you know, try to learn by doing that as well. So it's kind of been a, it's good. It's been a back and forth of, you know, working with somebody trying to learn from them and then, you know, implementing things into my training on my own as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. So. One of the benefits when you use like multiple coaches, you get to like the sample size is great. So you get to take like, Oh, I like your approach to using maybe this rep range of sets this, uh, like how you use these partials, that one partial movement really works. Some of the accessory work, maybe you hadn't previously had in your training. You're like, oh shit, got big gains with this. Um, but the, on the flip side, uh, when someone, if you stick with someone long enough that they really get to know you and they start pulling your data, they start, instead of like a broad general program for yourself, they start kind of tailoring it more towards you. Like, yeah. do, do the coaches you have, uh, are, but some coaches don't though. Here's the here's here's the thing when you got a good coach, bad coach. A coach who's just kind of taking money is giving you templates and doesn't necessarily ask what numbers are you using when I gave you those prescribed, you know, or maybe he's prescribing weights, but how was it? What RP would you have given it? Where are we flying? Like if they don't collect and they're just giving, yeah. they don't know. Yeah. They don't really know, to be honest. Whereas there's some people who do that. Other coaches, you know, they're like, I'm going to need, I gave you an RPE 8. I'm going to need those numbers you used because I'm tracking, I'm tracking this and I'm seeing your mess of cycles. I'm seeing what's working. That's when you know, like this fucking guy knows. Other people, give me a money. Here's a, here's a template works for 90% of the people should work for you. Yeah, this is a this is a pretty interesting like topic. Like you could do a whole, you could do multiple podcasts like oh, talking yeah. about this. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, this is a this is a really this is a really frustrating topic for me to to talk about just because <clears throat> uh, you know coaching is what I do you know full time and you know majority of my clients are remote clients. <clears throat> I have I have a few local lifters that I work with as well, or a good group of them, and uh, that's something that's. Uh, that I'm, I'm really big on is like one, it's communication. And two, it's, uh, you know, I have, uh, you know, in like in the spreadsheets that I send my lifters, I have like a feedback portion where like, they're supposed to log the numbers that they hit. Uh, you know, they're supposed to log, like I even, I even have, uh, my lifters like log their rest times. 
So oh, like all, yes, all, yeah. all of them, like all the long plays, their weights they hit, their rest times, if they missed any reps, like during their working sets, and then like the RPEs. So what I do is like I don't I don't prescribe like a, a straight like percentage or an RPE. I do a combination of both. Mm. So I'll give people like seventy percent with like an RPE guideline of like a seven. Uh, so like if the if the if the prescribed percentage is more difficult than the RPE guideline, I tell them to drop the weight gotcha. until it, until it matches the RPE. But if the prescribed weight is less than the RPE prescribed, or if it's the same, then they keep it. They don't mess with it. Yeah. So you know, I'll get I'll get lifters all the time. That's you know, at the end of their training week, like I'll go to like you know, update their you know, go to post like their next week of training, and like there's no feedback. You know, on, you know, on the training week, and I'm like, yeah, I've really like, you know, made it very, very clear to you know people like going forward that like that is very, very important. Like the feedback portion of like your spreadsheet or like you sending me videos is like it's what makes the difference between you just receiving like a template program versus yeah. your your program. Yeah, because you know if you were you know if you're missing reps on week one of your training week or, you know, whatever week you're on, like week nine, like, you know, I'm not going to like add 5% onto what you were doing going into the next week. Like I might give you a deload or we might adjust something. So, uh, that's definitely been a big thing that I have to like explain to people. Uh, yeah, so weird. yeah, but it, it's a frustrating part of it. It's, it's weird. Like in terms of that, um, cause I, I coach as well and yeah, it'll be one of those situations where it's like, Hey, look at, I might ask you, hey, I, you know, the month's up. I'm going to shoot you your new program, but I haven't got your your old sh your spreadsheet back. And um, yeah. I won't, like, hound somebody. I'm not going to chase you down. You know, if you don't give it to me, I'm I'm going to give you a template that it'll work. You know, you're working. You're in yeah. the gym working. But I don't know. if, And I'm not going to chase you. Like, I'm asking to send it back. Some people, oh, yeah, let me get that back to you, whatever. It's like, all right, man. But these are – now we're going into template territory. But um, yeah. there are, have you signed up with, you don't got to drop names for coaches, but have you signed up with coaches and kind of fell into the old, you know what, yeah, you, you really haven't asked me what weights I've been doing or whatever, like you haven't gotten too much data back, but yet I got another four block, four week block. Like from what have <clears throat> you devised the idea of that four week block? Have you ever asked yourself that? Some situations where you're like, hmm. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I've had like, uh, it's kind of different. Uh, I've had that, but like, you know, I understand that like, you know, when I try to like, you know, being a coach and also working with a coach, like I try to put myself like in the same mindset. Like, you know, I have to understand like, all right, like I'm not this guy's only client. Like he has other people who are also paying for his time and attention, you know, et cetera. Uh, so like I've had like typos in my spreadsheet before. And like I've even done that before too. Like I'm typing something out, I might I might miss something, and uh, you know, luckily like you know my clients will you know they'll send me a screenshot of it and like they'll be like, hey, did like did you mean to like leave this in there? And I'll just be like, oh shit, like no, that was a typo. Like uh, I want you to actually do this. But instead of bench pressing, instead of bench pressing four hundred pounds, it's four thousand pounds. <laughs> do you really want me to bench press four thousand pounds? You're like, yeah. I, I got to question uh, your faith. <laughs> so. Uh, but I have, I've had one experience like that where, uh, I, you know, I paid, I paid for coaching and I was, I was receiving my like training, like through a text message and I wasn't even getting a spreadsheet or anything like that. I was just getting the workout sent to me like via text. <clears throat> and, uh, I, 
I kind of, I one time I had asked, I had asked the coach to like send me my next week and it was like the same as the week before. And, uh, you know, it was just, uh, it wasn't a, a very good situation. And I, I, you know, I think I, I paid for 12 weeks of co or 10 weeks of coaching up front. I only followed like three weeks of it because I realized, I realized what was going on. I had reached out to a couple other clients and cause I was, you know, I saw, you know, other, other lifters, you know, tagging in the videos and, uh, you know, using like his hashtag or whatever. And, uh, you know, I talked to a couple of the other clients and saw that like we were all doing the same thing. Uh, so I, uh, I just decided to stop following the training and, uh, I didn't, I didn't even like ask for my money back or anything. Like I probably could have made a big deal out of it. Uh, but I just decided to, to move on from it. But that was, that was a pretty irritating situation. And I've heard of, you know, I've heard of other situations like that. And, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty irritating. Uh, just because, you know, you're, when, when you're like doing something like that, you know, especially with, you know, powerlifting, it's a little bit more high risk. Like, you know, somebody, you know, could seriously like mess themselves up, you know, they could tear something or, you know, into their back. So, uh, I think just, you know, copy and pasting, you know, a program and sending it to someone and not really, you know, being concerned if it suits them as an individual, I think that's uh, kind of messed up. It's, <laughs> so, it's, because there is also a point, this, something else I noticed too is, um, you, like, you don't want the lifter to just write their own, but it is good to get a little feedback, like, how long have you been lifting? Oh, five years. What have you found works for you? Because you probably, like yourself, you probably have found, hey, guess what? Pause dead just below the shin. Beautiful for me. I like singles. Don't like a lot of volume. Burns me out. Like, you get a little feedback like that. Yeah. You're like, all right, because if you're doing the five years... Like I, as the coach, you got to write it for him, but you, or her, but you might get a little feedback, like pause, pause squats, really good for me. Uh, you know, these are the trend, like I would need a four day week, et cetera. And you might have a little room where like, okay, well I hear you. I'm going to have to really push for, I want this in the program. I know you don't like it, but I think you should use it. But on the flip right. side, you can accommodate end of the day, um, it's also a bit of a point where when the lifter like enjoys what they're doing, they're more likely to approach it with a little energy and a little enthusiasm. If you lose them and they're like, they, you don't want them just to run it, whatever, only what they like to do. But on the flip side, there's got to be a point of them enjoying the process and buying in. Otherwise it's going to yeah, be an uphill battle. There's definitely, right? there's definitely a good balance. I think of, uh, you know, one, you have to enjoy what you're doing. But, uh, you know, there was, I think it's a lot easier to explain to, you know, I, I tell people that, you know, I don't really let, have a requirement for who I work with, but I love working with people who have been in the military and I love working with people who, uh, come from some type of athletic background because I think, uh, out of a lot of people, uh, pe you know, people that come from either of those like types of backgrounds, they understand that to, get to get something that you want you have to be in like a certain state of like uh un uncomfortability is that how you say it you have to be uncomfortable to a yeah. certain extent to get the things that you want and uh you know powerlifting is great because you know you can come from any background and you can you know you can do it and you can excel at it. you know anybody can get stronger that's why i love it <clears throat> but i think that you know people who have never been coached before 
you know, who don't come from an athletic background, uh, you know, who aren't used to having somebody, you know, critique them, uh, don't really understand what it's like to be coached. Yeah. And, and they kind of, they more or less want to, they want to be told like what they want to hear. So, uh, so like I said, I think there's like a really, uh, you know, there has to be like a happy medium, like of enjoying what you do and like buying into it because, you know, I, you know, we always tell people and a lot of people say this, you know, like the best program you can run is, you know, the one that you enjoy doing, mm-hmm. uh, the one that you believe in, uh, cause any program can work as long as you like, as, as long as the intent is there, but there also has to be a certain point of like doing the things that you don't want to do. Like it may be a hobby, but to get good at something, you still have to do things that you don't want to do. Like, yeah. you know, I had to do, you know, like I, like I, you know, I hated running, but I had to do a lot of running when I wrestled to, you know, to not gas out during a wrestling match. So, uh, I couldn't just, you know, I couldn't just lift weights all the time because I really enjoyed lifting. Like I had to do, you know, there had to be like a happy medium of both. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, that's, I think that's, uh, that's one thing that I run, run into quite a bit as well. Uh, because I'll, like, I'll prescribe something and, you know, a lifter will, you know, email me or text me and be like, Hey, like, uh, I really hate front squats. Like, can we sub them out for something else? Like, and and I'll say, well, like, why do you, like, why do you hate them? Like, do they cause pain? Like, is it a mobility issue? Like, do you, like, you know, you want to send me like a video so we can see like what, you know, if you're doing something correctly And and the squat will look fine. It's a good looking front squat. Like there's no issues. They just don't like doing them. Yeah, and so just, yeah. uh, at that point I was kind of like, I'll be a little, you know, uh, I won't be mean, but like I, you know, my sense of humor is a little twisted and I'll say, you know, like you're better off telling me that you enjoy doing something. If you want to take it out of your program, because now that I know you just don't like them, I'm going to keep them in the program. Yeah, That's not the reason I, I, I know <laughs> yeah. exactly what you mean where, um, yeah, I'll gauge like someone be like, ah, I mean, let's say they're doing three squat days uh, or three bench days a week or whatever. And they're like, can we take one out? I'm getting a little roughed up. And I'll be like, like specifically, are we talking you're sore or are we talking you're in? Like explain to me, what are we looking at here? And um, if you get down to like, you're sore, it'd be like, well, we're in the volume phase. Like, like that's to be, and then you ask like, how long, how, how long have you been powerlifting? And then it becomes, you know, maybe a year or so. It's like, okay, well, Maybe you're just not used to the type of workload you might need to put in. And then so if you keep them in the pocket and they stay in there, sometimes you could work through it. They see the benefits and they're like, hey, fuck, they're never going back. They're never going back to two times a week. It's like we need this in here. Now I know the level of volume I need. Like I've had those. Have you had those moments yourself where entering into a program or with a different coach, you're like, I'm not sure, man. I'm not used to deading or squatting or benching and this numbers or with this partial etc and then you walk away like shit i'm keeping that i'm keeping that for myself oh, moving forward and i'm yeah. keeping that for uh, my clients moving forward yeah absolutely so uh i i mean i think there's like an adjust there's like uh an adjustment phase like anytime you uh you start off you know with a a new training style or you know working with a new coach or you know something like that because every coach has their own way of doing things mm-hmm. and uh you know switching from benching one time a week to three times like it's going to take a little bit of time to adjust to that you're going to have to you know you don't want to start off you know doing you know 40 total working reps on each bench day you might want to have you know like one higher volume day and then the other two you know you slowly add volume in on those days over time so that way you get used to it 
but benching three times a week is something I actually uh, I've been doing for the past uh, several months now. Uh, I kind of toyed around with it on my own, actually. Uh, I didn't really I didn't work with a coach that suggested it. <clears throat> but being a you know a bigger guy, uh, you know, benching three times a week isn't really common for someone you know my size. You know, higher frequencies, I think, is a lot more common with you know the like middle weight to lighter weight uh, individuals. <clears throat> but I started uh, I started benching three times a week and uh, you know focusing uh, a lot more you know on on pushing some maximal weights and focusing on uh, you know speed and technique and. Uh, it worked really well and i just you know uh over over the summer i just did uh you know it was really simple progressive overload you know i would just try to add a set or you know add a rep you know every week to something somewhere <clears throat> and then i started working with trevor jaffe and uh i told him like hey i've been benching three times a week for you know the past <clears throat> three months and i'm to the point now where i can come in and i can do you know i can do volume work with you know like you know, 405, you know, three times a week, which is really good for me because, like, I've had periods of time where, like, doing 405 for, you know, one set is insanely difficult. Yeah. You know, I can do I can do 405 for, like, one set of five, and it's, like, an RPE nine. Yeah. And uh, just because, like, I'm not acclimated to that weight. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, like, I, and like I told him over time, you know, I've just been – you know, slowly adding a little bit here and there. Like now I'm to the point where I can come in and I can bench over 400 pounds multiple times a week and it feels like speed work. It's like, okay, well, it's obviously working, so we're going to keep that in. And, that's, and since then... Yeah, and that's kind of what I'm talking about where like that dialogue with the coach client, he might be like, you know what, ordinarily I don't have people bench three times a week. But when you work with someone <clears> like yourself who's got experience, you're like, hey, you, if this works, let's not, let's not retool you. Like if this is a proven... Um, you know, plus for yourself for progression. That's the type of thing where sometimes, you know, when you don't have that dialogue with a coach, you're like, shit, you know, you, yeah. you really haven't gotten to know me too well. Like, you know, where are you making these decisions from? You know, yeah, that's, uh, uh, I think that's something we definitely got down, you know, with that, that bench uh, portion. And then uh, another thing too, that we had, I started working with and we were talking about, uh, you know, my performance, like on a platform, uh, so I had a couple, you know, bad meets in a row, partially, you know, my own mistakes and, uh, you know, just messing up my own training and uh, not sticking to things that, I, you know, been doing. But we kind of figured out that uh, <clears throat> I was, you know, prepping for like the past couple of meets. I was hitting, I was hitting a really big deadlift about three weeks out from my past couple of competitions. And, you know, more, more often than not that, that, heavy pull at like usually three weeks out, I was hitting some type of PR. And, but what I would do after that is I would try to push heavier than that going into the meet, you know, like at two weeks out, I would try to hit another, another heavy pull. Yeah. And, uh, and then I would get to the meet and the, my deadlifts would just feel insanely heavy. So something that we did for uh, record breakers in uh, November last year is we did my last heavy pull at three weeks out, and that was my last heavy deadlift. So we basically deloaded my deadlifts at three weeks out. And you know, my next my next deadlift day at two weeks out is essentially like you know speed work, uh, and then the same thing you know one week out it was like deload you know just like fifty percent or whatever. And uh, this last meet uh, record breakers is the best my deadlifts have ever felt like on the platform. Uh, you know they felt insanely easy. So uh, that's something that we've. Uh, 
that we've kind of changed like going forward is like uh you know i hit my last heavy deadlift at about three weeks out and then like that is an appropriate amount of time for me to recover you know pulling you know you know upper you know high eights uh you know it takes me a little bit of time to recover from that so that uh like like you said like that dialogue with like you know, we have going there has, uh, has definitely made a difference. Because so. it, it's funny because, like, um, the more you watch people and the more, like, people that you might be coaching watch other other favorite lifters on Instagram, they'll tell themselves, like, oh, shit, two weeks out, one week, what week and a half out, so-and-so is hitting huge PRs, and they carry that momentum right into the competition. And sometimes as a coach, you want to tell them, like, don't worry about what they're doing. Because you are not the same. Like like you just exactly. said for yourself, three weeks out, you got to cut that dead. If you try to chase because you see Larry Wheels or whoever the shit hitting like a week out, it's like, that's not, you're, 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 that, you got two different central nervous systems, whatever. Like you do you and you kind of just got to gather that data. I think on the flip side, you might have a coach who, if they're a lifter and more themselves lifter orientated, they might be like, this works for me. Trust me. This is what you got to do. Like, trust me, it works because it works yeah. for them. Because it works yeah. for them, and it's like not everybody's the same, my man. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's been it's been really difficult for me too, just because you know, I've been I've been chasing that nine hundred pound deadlift for a while now on the platform, and I I got really really close at, Re, at uh, Reebok Record Breakers. Uh, I I went eight hundred four, eight fifty nine, and I went nine hundred four on my third attempt, and uh, the nine hundred four moved a lot faster than I thought it would. And uh, I lost my balance a little bit at the like right at the top. I fell forward, uh, lost my balance, <laughs> and I just I didn't expect it to move that fast. Yeah. Uh, and my heaviest deadlift that whole meet prep, I did eight thirty two for three singles. My last heavy pull at three weeks out, I did eight thirty two for three singles. Uh, so I didn't I didn't come within fifty pounds of nine hundred that whole meet prep. Yeah. Everything that I did was you know in the seven hundred range, and then. Uh, I literally had one deadlift day where I pulled over 800 at that meat prep. So <clears throat> for me, you know, going forward, I've had to, you know, kind of reassure myself, like, look, like a lot of, you know, my training is going to be like boring. You know, I'm going to be doing a lot of work, like in the, you know, in the 700 range, I might pull over 800 one or two times in a meat prep. And that's really difficult for me when I see guys like, you know, Kaler and, you know, uh, this uh, Jamal guy now that pulled over a thousand, you know, these guys can come into the gym and they can pull over, you know, they can pull 400 kilos or more uh, multiple weeks in a row. And, uh, you know, it's been really difficult for me because I obviously want to do that. Like, you know, my ego, uh, you know, I really, I, I want to be able to come to come into the gym and just pull, you know, 880 or 900 or whatever. And I've just kind of had to, I've had to like constantly reassure myself, like, it's not, you know, like what I do in the gym doesn't matter. Like, if I want to pull over 900 on the platform where it does matter, then this is what I need to do in the yeah. gym to make it happen. Even if that means that like I don't touch anything over, you know, like 850 pounds and a meat prep. Uh, and it's funny how that works, eh? Because there is, there are times when some people want to be like, if I want to be the type of lifter I want to be, if I want to be, a, they tell themselves, if I want to be a 900 pound deadlifter, I need my working sets in the 800s leading up to. The last month, I should be working in the 800s if I expect to pull in the 9s. That's what they tell themselves. When in reality, it's like, well, maybe for some people, but maybe for some other people, it's not. 
Maybe you just hang in the 700s, make one appearance in the 800s, and 900 will still be there. You know, it's a, it's tough, though, because you do mentally... The odd time you get a lifter where it's like, how much confidence will you gain if you hit this one big one in training? Then all of a sudden, the I can attitude kicks in for the competition. But then you fly too close to the sun, they get too greedy, they go too heavy, yeah. and they peak in the gym. It, as a coach, sometimes you're like, shit, I know this lifter well. Like it's Just like anybody, if you believe you can, it's like the four-minute mile. Leading up to the four-minute mile, it was like landing on the moon for people. Back in the yeah. day when they were running, nobody breaks the four-minute mile. As soon as the four-minute mile is broken, the following year, four other people smashed. It, it became just exactly. a, it became the standard. And it's because people told themselves, I can't. Mentally, I can't. Yeah, it's and kind you, of been that way with like the 900-pound deadlift. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> like, like it's, I think everybody's got those in lifting. And sometimes I tell myself, this might be a little more than I want this person to hit in the gym. But damn it, if I let them, just a single, it's not going to fry them. But if I let them do that, I, I fucking, I can see that shit turning in the head. Yeah. Like, now I believe. You know, so it's, it's a weird, it depends on the person totally, you know, because if you let them try, yeah. if you let, because you know, if you let them try, it's slow as fuck, RP 10, shoulders slumped, you did the opposite, and now they're discouraged, yeah. right? Exactly. And you're yeah. like, damn it, you weren't supposed to be able to anyways. Exactly. No, yeah, that's, that's definitely been the, that's been the struggle uh, so far. And that's, uh, that's something I deal with, like, with coaching, too, is kind of figuring out, uh you know, how much, you know, a lifter can handle. And, uh, you know, that's like why the, the local lifters that I work with here, uh, you know, they're like, they're the, the best lifters I have. You know, they, they make a lot of progress just because like I'm with them, training with them every day in the gym. And, uh, you know, I know what like a max effort looks, max effort lift looks like for them. So I kind of, you know, we can auto-regulate training on the fly like all the time because I'm in the gym with them. You know, if they're having an off day, and I can see something's moving slow. I'm like, okay, like let's take this much weight off and let's, you know, adjust this a little bit. We'll do this instead. So, you know, we have, you know, we have bad training days and stuff like that, but you know, we rarely have a day where it's like a complete, like we just need to call it and like leave the gym. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, that's been the, that's the challenging part. That's also like the fun part of coaching too, is uh, figuring out like what works for an individual. So I know what you mean by being there in person, Sometimes you could tell, like leading up to the how the weight's moving, and they're like, yeah. "What do you think, man? We move this up another 20? You're like, "You yeah. know what? Well, you can you can see it too, like on, like you can see like when somebody's feeling good too. Like you can tell when somebody's having, yeah, yeah. You, know, you can tell when somebody's not feeling it, and you know stuff is still moving good, but they're just not feeling it. But like you can tell when somebody is like having one of those days where like you know it's almost like they don't even feel anything when they grab the bar. So there is there's uh, a mo- there's a moment too of. If somebody's not having that good day, you're there live, you almost to let them off the hook. If you say it, if you're like, you know what, I'm comfortable with this because I'm actually thinking next week of doing that. Let's just leave the weight here. And they don't fucking mentally have to say nothing. It's like that boxer where you stop and ignore yeah. them. So yeah, they take some of the take some of the strain off of that a little bit. And they don't mentally overthink it either. You yeah, know, you exactly. could you could just make up something on the fly. Be like, you know what? Let's keep this RP a little lower. Uh, do a bit of you know, deload it a little bit this week. Originally, I was telling you this number. It's all right. Let's pull it back a bit. And they don't have to over fucking think it. Whereas, exactly. um, if you're there and they're thinking, ah, shit. You know, Chris gave me X amount of weight. I better do it. 
Otherwise, if, yeah. I, if I don't hit this, here's one thing I tell people too. If you get given a weight, it's not a, it's it's not a 100% thing. If you don't hit the weight, the whole training peak isn't off. This shit happens every single time in a training prep. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's actually been something I've I've dealt with a lot too. Is uh, I you know I tell people you know because I get all like my I give give people my phone number and if they need to like uh, for my my uh, remote clients specifically like if they need to contact me like during a training session because something just isn't happening like tell them like text me first and then we'll like figure out what, like what we're gonna do from there. And I, I, you know, I still, it still happens all the time. People will try to push through a bad training day. Yeah. And like I tell people, and like they'll end up, you know, they'll miss their working sets, they'll fail something, uh, which I don't want. And uh, you know, I tell people like I would rather I can auto regulate a training day and we can progress from there. It's a lot more difficult to fix a a bad training day versus like having to, you know. Uh, modify something a little bit like uh i would rather do that versus like you know having to complete like try to recover from a day where you like miss reps or something like that because that's yeah. going to be a lot that's going to be a lot worse than you know having to take a little bit of weight off the bar yeah what I'm so saying, if you if you essentially turn every lift into an rp10 and it's like a meat day in there because you're just like you're hitting some you're failing others what it does to your nervous system is a lot harder to try to navigate the person back from as opposed exactly. to if you're like, look, let's just let's just roll these numbers back a minute. Yeah, 100% agree. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about the U.S. Open uh, because obviously this is the this is the big one. Everyone all eyes on this U.S. Open. Who are what are your expectations leading into this U.S. Open, and what are you expecting to see from some other people that are signed up as well? Uh, so for me personally, uh, sorry. I was looking for my my laptop charger. Are you about uh, to die? Are you about to die on this? People be. I can pause it if you need to, or people be like, "Damn, he just totally dodged that question." <laughs> uh, oh shit! Uh, should I should I pause it? I can pause it if I need to. Like, uh, I mean, I I have Skype on my phone too. I don't know if like if that if I like call you from my phone, like if that would. If that would work or not, but yeah, yeah, we could uh, do that. We could do that. <laughs> all, right. Uh, all right, give me one second. <laughs> sure, I'll pause it and you call me from the all phone. Right. All right. Okay. So yeah, just uh, I was actually asking you earlier, um, what were what were your expectations coming into the U.S. Open, and uh, what are you expecting from some of the other competitors that are in there? All right. So for myself. Uh, with uh, you know, record breakers, uh, I totaled twenty two oh four, and uh, I definitely left a little bit of weight on the platform. You know, we kind of we focused on just going nine for nine, and you know, building smart attempts, and kind of having the type of meet that I should have, because uh, you know, a couple of meets before that, you know, I've been you know too aggressive with attempt selection. You know, I was opening too heavy and. Uh, I was just kind of hoping for a perfect day, and uh, so record breakers was really, you know, kind of put me back in the right direction. You know, I went eight for nine. The only lift I missed was the ninth, that nine hundred four deadlift, uh, and you know, everything moved. You know, all of my third attempts, you know, minus the, the nine hundred four, they, you know, in my opinion, they, they kind of, they looked like second attempts. So I had weight left in the tank on everything. Uh, 
so my goal for myself for uh, the U.S. Open is uh, you know twenty three hundred, uh, and you know going along with that, I would like to I'd like to squat uh, you know eight sixty five to eight eighty uh, bench uh, about I think the exact uh, like the, for the kilo plates I think it would be like five twenty three and then. Like I'd like to finally pull a 900 in a beat. So with you know with all that, you know, it should put me you know about 2280 to, uh, to 2300. You know, which I would be be a big total PR. Uh, that would you know put me uh, you know just from what I've seen, that would put me you know uh, in the mix for top three overall. You know, hopefully win some prize money. Uh, so, because I'm, I'm still a light 275er as well, so you know, I'm not uh, I'm not walking around at 275. So, uh, you know, with what I'm weighing, uh, you know, it'll definitely uh, help out my whoops quite a bit. Uh, for my weight class, I believe uh, I got Andy Huang and Kevin Oak are going to be the two That's biggest right. people I'm going up against. Yeah. Uh, so I'm really excited to be able to compete against both of them. I've competed against Andy a couple of times. And uh, I'm not sure if I've competed against Kevin yet. Uh, I know we've, I think we've done the same meets, but he's been in sleeves and I've been in wraps. Uh, but as far as like the rest of the meet, uh, obviously Yuri is gonna is gonna be the guy to beat. Uh, I think with Brand with Brandon out of the open, he was gonna Brandon Allen. He was gonna be another big contender. Uh, I was pretty. It's pretty sad to see uh, his injury happen, uh, but I think that Yuri is going to be the guy to beat. Honestly, uh, I don't know of too many other. I think there's Ross big... Ross Petkov. Who... So here's the here's the thing though with the lighter weight guys like uh, Ross Petkov, Cody Blazik, uh, and even uh, Ben Pollock. You know for yeah, Ben, yeah. For for so we're all in the same mix this year. There's no lightweight or heavyweight winners. That's right. And uh, these these lighter guys are honestly kind of getting screwed over with the Wilkes because for uh, you know for at 181 you know for uh, for a lifter at 181 at 181 to have over a 600 Wilkes, which you know with the way the past few U.S. Opens have won, a 600 plus Wilkes is what you need to place top three. Uh, you know, a a lifter at 181 would have to total uh, would have to total 2,000 to have a 600 wolf. Jesus. Uh, now I, I'm you know, I'm I'm pretty sure. Uh, and my laptop's dead. I was gonna go on my wolf calculator real quick. That I have on my laptop, but from what I remember, uh, you know, a lifter at 181, you know, would have to. Uh, would have to total it would have to total damn near two thousand to have a six hundred Wilkes. And uh, I think what uh, Ben I think I looked it up when Ben totaled uh, two thousand thirty something at one ninety eight. Uh, I think that gave him close to a six hundred Wilkes. I can't remember. Uh, or maybe right it might have been right around six hundred, but uh, so yeah, these these lighter guys are gonna have to put up a put up some pretty big totals and I, I definitely don't think it's like, uh, I don't think it's impossible. I mean, especially, you know, uh, looking at like Cody, 
Blazer, like the numbers he's been hitting in the gym, and then Ross Petkoff too. Like they're they're hitting pretty big numbers, but uh, I think a two thousand pound total at one eighty one would be would be pretty crazy to see. But uh, I definitely do think they're getting screwed over a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as uh, guys to be, I definitely think that that Yuri is obviously going to be the biggest guy to beat. Uh, and who knows? I honestly, uh, I haven't really, I haven't really paid too much attention to other people outside of uh, the guys I've really been watching. Has been, I mean, Yuri doesn't really post a lot of training footage, uh, but you know, Yuri's obviously he's a given. And then the only guys I've really been paying attention to have been uh, Cody Blazik and, and Ross Petkov. And, and so, were you surprised as well? Uh, there's been a few withdrawals on the, on the women's side. Uh, CC pulled out, got her own stuff she's dealing with. But then even like, for instance, Stacy Burt, who hit, um, you know, the shoot. She, she, I think, was it the biggest Wilkes ever? Uh, and yep, decided so she has, I think she has, yeah, right now she has the, the highest raw Wilkes regardless of, of weight class and gender. And um, decided that's it. That's all I need from the sport, and decided to retire right there. Yeah, uh, I I thought that was kind of uh, I thought that was kind of odd too to uh, to do that. And uh, I haven't really, you know, we obviously both get coached by Trevor. I haven't really asked I haven't really asked him about it. Uh, you know, I think uh, getting to use the monolith might have played a role in it, but I. I definitely don't know why she chose to do that meet versus the open because, you know, she would have done, you know, that performance or very similar to that performance at the open. She would have been walking away with $20,000, like hands down. Well, well, here's the thing though. So what was the Wilkes that she hit that she retired on? I think it was like 668 or something like that. And so CC's gone. What, did she retire and pull out of the open before CC decided I'm not showing up? Uh, I think she might have. I don't, that I don't know. I actually don't know. I had just heard about CC like just pulled out of the open, didn't she? That's right. From what I from what I know, and I'm not saying Stacy like you know she's afraid to go head to head with CC, but CC was almost jogging at last U.S. Open. Didn't even come out for a last dead. So if you're ever if your goal is I want to retire when I'm number one. You better do it. Your chances are greater if you do it in between CC's competitions. Don't yeah, let her come. Don't let her come back. Yeah, don't let her rebuttal. Been, but, you don't want to see uh, this is like Machine Gun Kelly and Eminem. You don't want to wait for that Eminem rebuttal. Yeah, <laughs> retire, exactly. retire. Uh, I mean, yeah, I definitely think that might that might have played a role in it. I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't want to. Do, do, I don't want to call Stacy out or anything. Yeah. But, uh, well, I mean, we're speculating, I, but. Yeah, I definitely think that that might have probably been a part of it. Uh, I just, my own personal perspective, like how you know, if I was in that situation, and I know there's a, there's a whole lot of other stuff going on that probably you know played into that. I would have, I would for that performance. Like if I if I knew that I was going to be capable of that performance. I would have trained to have that performance like at like the biggest stage possible and where I could have like, you know, I could have gotten $20,000, Yeah. which, you know, I know that, you know, the opens, you know, three weeks away, but you know, people are still donating to the open 
So there's still a chance it might be more than $20,000 by the time. 20 k is uh, enough, too. Like, even if it stays, 20 k I know $20, you $20,000 is $20,000. $20,000, yeah, it's 20 k It is, um, so, I mean, it is. And even, look, I'll, t- I'll be completely honest with you. Even if Stacy's saying, I know right now my goal to be the biggest Wilkes of all time is this number. I don't want it floating around on me when I show up, which would happen in the U.S. Open. So I kind of somewhat understand if that was the case. But um, for, for your – so, like, I kind of – you know, I get both, right? Um, on the flip side – Yeah, I, kinda, see, I see both sides of it. Yeah, like you would say, look, if I have this pegged down and I'm talking retirement on it, I, when I show up to this local – the smaller meet where none of the big guns are, at least I know it's gonna, not going to float around on me that day whereas you walk in the u.s open god knows where that number is going to float around on you and now are you retiring or are you not you're you're one foot in the door one foot out she might be like i just want to if you're thinking about leaving the game maybe you just don't want the intangibles so i could kind of see that um, yeah. but but speaking about that do you ever see yourself in a situation where is it what are is, is there a situation where you see yourself walking away from the game if you hit a certain title win or a certain record and you're like, fuck it. I don't think I have, I don't want to keep fighting. Cause she had mentioned how much of her life is dedicated to powerlifting. I think most powerlifters can agree, you know, sometimes. Yeah, you- I definitely, uh, that's something that I've started to talk, talk about a lot recently. Uh, you know, among, you know, you know, friends and stuff like that. And, you know, mom and dad too, you know, who <laughs> are getting a little concerned about, you know, like, you know, every time, you know, I talk, I talk to my mom, like, every day, and, you know, she'll, uh, she'll text me, and she'll be like, where are you at? And, like, I'll, like, send her, like, a video of me, like, getting grasped and done, like, on my shoulder and stuff like that. She's like, she's like, you're there, like, every week. Like, why do you keep going back? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm just like, oh, well, like, you know, my, my shoulder hurts, so, like, I got to get it worked on. So, you know, my parents are, you know, getting, they're not concerned, but they're just like, you know, do you ever see yourself stopping and, uh, so like right now, like I, I have a list of like a list of things I want to do and, you know, my mindset right now is trying to juggle, we're trying to juggle training and, you know, everything else I'm doing now, uh, you know, you know, coaching on top of that. And then, you know, now I'm, you know, in the next week or two, I'm going to have a gym that I, you know, that I have to run as well full time, uh, so training is definitely taking is going to start taking a backseat. I mean, granted, it's going to be really easy to train, you know, when I have you know my own tra- you know my own facility and everything like that. But uh, other things are a lot more important now than just you know training. And uh, so I have I have a list of things that like you know I have my list of goals that like I want to hit. And uh, I was actually talking to Trevor about this the other day. Like realistically, like I would like to hit all these goals like within the next like two years especially like with the direction that we're going we're going in and uh you know obviously like you know my uh you know my performance at the open will kind of you know dictate if we're still going in the in the right direction or not but assuming that we are you know i think you know hitting these goals like within the next two years or so would definitely be realistic and then i can definitely take a step back and, uh, you know, be proud of, like, you know, what I've done and, you know, all that. So uh, there's there's definitely some pretty some pretty lofty goals on there. Uh, but I definitely think they're all possible. 
uh, you know, Trevor, you know, being my coach, he's crazy enough to think that they're possible too. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna do our best to make it happen uh, and, and try to keep me in one piece. It is it is it is funny how because it's not like other sports with powerlifting where um, it's it's still kind of like a hobby sport. <clears throat> 20k for a winner is big money but it's not like where you can make your living just competing so to an extent it's a hobby sport it's a sport of passion and um but it demands it's more than like fishing we just do it in your spare time it's more than just pick up like a you know beer league hockey or, or basketball where it demands like day in day out week after week hours your whole life starts revolving around it and those who are into it are very into it social media coaching like it and i think this is kind of what stacy was saying where um you know i kind of like i get it where she's like it somewhat became a little unhealthy just my whole life became this so you know with all the the stuff that you have to do outside of just training like when you get to that point where you know you're you're putting three you know three three and a half or four times your body weight on your back and you know, this stuff isn't like, it's not good for you. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's all the, you know, the other stuff that we do outside of it, you know, uh, that also isn't good for you. So, uh, and definitely like, you know, you can't say that it's like, you can't say that it's like not, not taking years off of your life, mm-hmm. you know, by doing this kind of stuff, it's, it's unhealthy. And, you know, just like, you know, having like having days where like you know, try to like get in my car and like you know my back cramps up and you know you know the eight like you know all the aches and pains and stuff like that. So having to you know uh, see like you know see a physical therapist or like a chiro like you know once or twice a week for you know months on end or whatever and you know doing all of your like you know mobility and like rehab stuff on your own and uh, you know eating right, you know, because, you know, you know, nutrition is a really big part of it, and I think that's something that people are starting to figure out, like, this last, like, you know, recently, I think, uh, you know, people are really starting to, to realize, you know, how big that is, too, so, you know, you, you know, nutrition, you know, all this extra stuff that, you know, you have to do outside of just training, like, it's, it's a full-time job, especially, like, if you are, like, in a situation like, you know, like, Stacy, you know, or these other top lifters, you know, uh, you have to like be that, you know, you get, you're going to get in, like you're going to get out of it what you put into it. Mm-hmm. So essentially, uh, and it's, yeah, it is, it is a little unhealthy at that point. It's not a hobby anymore. And emotionally, and, uh, dra- emotionally draining too, where it's like, it, do- it really does dominate your life because yeah, it's very, it's very emotionally draining, especially when you, when you train for a whole year and like you, you know, obviously early on, like in this sport, like you get used to PRing all the time and you know, that, that PR train might, might even last. A- sport, you know, like, you know, my very, you know, in 2014, I totaled, you know, 1700 and it's went, you know, 1700, 1800, 1900, so on and so forth every year up to 2200. And, uh, you know, it's going to slow down. And so like when you train for a whole year, and you might not, you might not PR a lift for, you know, an entire year. Yeah. And like, you know, you, you know, you'll train for a whole year just to put, you know, five pounds on each lift. Like, <laughs> it's it's a lot of work with, you know, for very very small reward. Uh, you know, when you get to that point, uh, 
And that can be really, really emotionally draining because you, uh, at that point, you'll start getting into that, you know, you'll start questioning like everything, you know, like, am I making progress? Am I not? Because, you know, putting five pounds on a lift in a year, like it's really hard to tell yourself that you're making progress it's, at that point. It is tough where, you know, sometimes you almost got to season it. You almost got to be like, I'll do one or two things a year, but I don't, I'm not going to, you, you know, it's just easier mentally, emotionally. And then you just enjoy the process of, I lift weights to lift weights for the majority of the year. I just go in there, get a pump on, you know, hit some yeah. weights and I'm not emotionally attached. Whereas if you're only constantly chasing that number wise, yeah, it's not even really the process of going in there and throwing some weights around and leaving and getting a little excess energy out, getting a little excess anxiety out, just getting, you know, the feeling of that. You know, like when I read Arnold Schwarzenegger's autobiography, oftentimes when he talks about going into the gym with Frank Colombo back in the 70s and 60s, he'll mention numbers here and there, but a lot of it is just the feeling of being in the gym with your with your crew, throwing some weights around, shooting the shit, and that kind of never really leaves, right? It's more enjoying that process, and as opposed yeah. to sometimes social media and sometimes pressure and uh, the pressure of performing and the pressure of chasing numbers like Wilkes is, et cetera. That might yeah. be where Stacy was saying, like, I, I don't think she, I think she retired from competition due to that. But I, I think she was saying she still wants to smash some weights. She wants to move weights and do shit, but just alleviate that pressure, alleviate some of that other shit so she could still enjoy going to the gym, but just not, you know, constantly. Yeah, I, I honestly, I think she's taking a break. Uh, you know, I think I think she's gonna compete again. I think she's taking a break. I don't think she's done competing. Like Conor, like like Conor I, McGregor. Yeah. So I think <laughs> uh, yeah, I've 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 met Stacy. You know, I have you know I've been lucky enough to you know have a couple conversations with her and kind of realize like how crazy she is. Uh, and you know, she she's one of those people like you just have to meet her. Like she really is. Like what I love about Stacy is like she is the type of person that she portrays on social media. Uh, now she like granted like she does hype herself up quite a bit. There is a lot of hype around her right now, you know, with everything, and uh, which is awesome because like you know she she's the best in the world right now. So, uh, but she really is like as crazy as she like comes off of social media. Like she does like she is very dedicated and she is a really awesome person to talk to. And uh, so just meeting her and getting to talk to her the handful of times that I have, I don't think that she's done. I think she'll, I think she'll take some time off and kind of give herself like a chance to like just relax a little bit and kind of enjoy like progressing in other areas of her life that maybe she wasn't really as focused on like her coaching and, you know, maybe growing her own brand like she is right now. Uh, and, you know, getting, you know, financials and stuff like that in order because, you know, this is a really expensive hobby. Uh, eh, this really is an expensive hobby. Yeah. And, uh, that's part of, that's part of the reason why I'm only allowing myself to compete you know, like once a year, maybe twice a year going forward because competing is expensive. Yeah. Uh, so I, I definitely think that, uh, she's going to come back. I think she's going to give herself a break and she's going to focus on some other stuff for a while. It's more important. But I think that if somebody like breaks a record of hers or, you know, breaks her wolves or whatever, I definitely think that's going to light a fire under her ass and she's going to come back. She's young. And sometimes you get she, bored. Yeah, she's young you, too. You, so. you can get bored and be like, ah, shit, years have passed. I need a new goal. Um, thinking about this. So you're a young guy too. You're only 24 years old. And the question that we always ask everybody whenever we have them on the podcast, 
Um, when all is said and done, and let's say you're 64 and you're looking back, how do you want to be remembered? Oh, God. <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough question. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, it is. Are we like, are we talking like, you know, goals like specifically that I want to accomplish myself? You know or what? Like- I would say, I would say it depends if that's how you want to be based on. Like some people are like, look at, just remember me for yada, yada, my Wilkes, my whatever the shit, or it could be whatever, whatever it is. When some, I will keep it the powerlifting, but when people do look back during this era, and this is a pretty big era for powerlifting, God knows if we're going to stay this hot. Um, but when yeah. we look back at this era and they say, do you remember Larry? Do you remember Brandon out? Do you remember Chris Bridgeford? What do you, what do you want them to do? Well, that's a, uh... That's a really good question, uh, and I definitely want to, re- you know, be remembered for, you know, some of like, you know, my own personal accomplishments. You know, I have some, you know, like I want to, you know, like I want to pull a thousand in a full meet. Uh, you know, after I do that, like I want to, you know, try to get like I want to, you know, get. In a, I don't want to compete in strongman, but I would like to, you know, because I've pulled, I've, you know, pulled some pretty heavy uh, stuff conventional too. I'd like to, you know, get us two. And learn how to pull in a suit, and I'd like to try to pull over a thousand in strongman as well, and you know, pull over a thousand bow stances, you know, stuff like that, some other small stuff. But uh, a lot of the people that I look up to, uh, you know, they're kind of in the generation of lifters before me. Uh, they, you know, the people I look up to, they've all made a huge effort to give back to the sport outside of you know their own accomplishments. Uh, and that's that's how I want to be remembered. Uh, I want to you know I want to be remembered as you know like I yeah I you know did some impressive stuff or whatever, but I gave back to the sport. And you know that's actually you know me and Garrett Fear uh, we've uh, are going to start hosting seminars, and we, we're calling our seminar the Next Generation Powerlifting Seminar because we are the and we decided to call it that because we are like the next generation of lifters. And like what I want to do going forward is, you know, take, take like my experience and Garrett as well. We want to take our experiences and our knowledge and help the next generation, like our generation of lifters progress. Like, because with powerlifting, like there's been progression, you know, every, you know, every couple of years, every year, whatever, like every generation of lifters has like been better than the generation before. And I think, uh, you know, a big part of that is, because people, you know, have, you know, been educating, uh, you know, have been educating everybody like in that generation. So that's something that I'm really passionate about doing going forward is, you know, taking my own you know, personal experiences and everything I've learned from like the coaches and mentors I've gotten to work with and helping my generation of lifters continue that progress going forward. Pain so, you know, to be honest, like I have, I have met some people that I thought I looked up to and uh, you know, it was honestly, it's kind of, it's kind of a little disappointing, you know, I've, you know, met some uh, and you know, maybe that's not, you know, maybe that's not the best thing to say, but you know, I've, I've met some, some pretty big name lifters and uh, you know, people that I looked up to and you know, it was almost kind of a, a little bit of a letdown. And uh, so, you know, like I, the way, you know, like I judge people is you know, like how they give back to the sport. Uh, you know, if they're, you know, if they are like really, you know, uh, 
you know, active on, you know, like whether, you know, they, they coach or they, you know, they have a gym or whatever, you know, they host seminars or they, you know, they write, you know, content or whatever, like they were, you know, even on social media, like do they reply to the people on their social media that ask them questions, like stuff like that. So, uh, that's how I'd like to be remembered. Yeah. Like I want to put up some, some really big numbers like in the next two years. But, uh, after that, like my top priority is going to be, uh, you know, helping others. So yeah, it's interesting you say it is true. Um, they say be careful when you meet the people you look up to. It might be really disappointing. You almost you almost don't want to meet your heroes because very hard for them to live up. But even then, you know, sometimes they just you 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 look up to them on a sporting level, but you don't know them on a personal level. When you meet them. They're just not that cool guy yeah. or that cool girl that yeah. I wish they were. Yeah, right? and that's something that we've said too, you know. Just because somebody is good at lifting weights doesn't necessarily make them a good person. Amen. Uh, Amen. You know, I talk about I talk about West Side Barbell quite a bit. And uh you know, they say you know, like a lot of you know, obviously like at the time, you know, a lot of the guys in that gym training on that team, they were, you know, the strongest in the world. But a lot of those guys like were criminals and like they probably should have been they were, they were in jail at some point, or they should have been in jail. Like, not a lot of them were very good people. Like, yeah, they were really, really strong, but they were definitely not people that you would, like, consider to be, like, mentors or, like, you know, something like that. Now, that's kind of, like, an extreme example, but, yeah, like, that's, you know, it's something I've been pretty, pretty open about. And, you know, just because somebody's really strong doesn't necessarily make them a good person. So, you know, the, you know I, you know, a lot of people I look up to, uh, you know, they're really, really engaged with, you know, giving back to the sport, you know, educating people, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And um, if anyone's listening to this, uh, before we let you go, who, A, how would they get a hold of you if they want coaching from yourself? And B, do you have any sponsors and anyone that you'd like to thank? Yeah, so uh, people can reach me, you know, Instagram is the best one, uh, Bridgeford242. Uh, my email is there too. Uh, my email is actually bridgefordstrength at gmail.com. Uh, people would just prefer to email me. Uh, as far as sponsors, uh, you know, Feed Me, Fight Me, they've, they've been my main sponsor since I've, you know, uh, been powerlifting. I've been with them for about three years now. Uh, the owners are, are really great to me. They, uh, they're actually, you know, two big mentors of mine. Uh, Wolverine as well, uh, su- supplement company I just started working with. Uh, they've been awesome too, uh, giving me everything I need for uh, this meat prep. And uh, yeah, that's it. Sounds good, my man. Listen, good luck in the U.S. Open. We're all going to be watching and we'll keep in contact. All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks See for having you, me on. Thanks for coming on. So there you have an uh, interview with Chris Bridgeford who is currently prepping for the U.S. Open. Big show. I mean, they got 20K on the line. And, um, I mean, when you, you talk about powerlifting, this is, I believe it's still the biggest payout in terms of the untested or test. I mean, biggest payout, period, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, 20K, I'm just trying to think in my head if there's another one. It's down from 40K last year, but... I mean, who could scoff at 20K US? It's definitely going to make an impact in terms of your take-home for that year. There's a few names that um, aren't going to be at the US Open, and they're big ones, uh, quite frankly. I mean, you got Stacey Burr, we just talked about, uh, isn't going to be there. CeCe Holcomb, 
also no longer going to be there. Larry Wheels won't be there. Brennan Allen had to pull out. Uh, John Hack won't be there this year. So there is a, a few big names that aren't going to be there that you might be used to seeing. But um, we still got some big guns. You still got Steffi Cohen. You still got Yuri Belkin. You still got Ben Pollock. You still, I mean, there's there's good and plenty of quality lifters coming back. It's still going to be a battle. And you got young guns showing up. Like Mark, Mark Plummer we just had on the last podcast. 21 years old. You know, a lot of people that you don't really see on the radar yet. After this US Open, they will be on your radar. You know, they are right there. And this is their breakthrough performance. This is the meet they've been waiting for. That everyone's going to be watching. And now you're going to be talking about them when it's all said and done. Leading into last year's U.S. Open, how many talk people were talking about CC? How many people were talking about CC leading to last year's? We were reposting her, but not many people were talking about CC after the U.S. Open. How many people were talking about CC? You know, and um, I say CC Holcomb. I know her situation, and it's no longer Holcomb, or or it's not going to be, but. Um, you know what I mean? No disrespect. Uh, I'm just used to calling her by a last name like that. But how many, you see how CC broke through last year and became the most talked about female lifter in powerlifting, probably the most talked about lifter, period. At least for that, at least for a solid month after last US Open. It can happen again this year, so you want to pay attention. That being said, thank you for tuning in. Until next time, six pack lap it at. Peace.